Pint Glass Football Podcast is presented by Better Edge, giving the edge back to the betters with no fee sports betting. At betteredge.com, you, not the books, set the price of betting lines so you can make bank with no VIG or sportsbook fees. Better Edge is available in 45 states for real money sports betting. Create an account and use code PGF for $10 on your first order. Play the game without getting played at betteredge.com. Welcome to the Pint Glass Football Podcast. This is Pint Glass Football, drink beer, talk football, you know what it's about. If you're new to the show, hit that subscribe button. What's up, PGF Nation? I'm your host, Brad Fowler, and McKenzie Brewing is the official beer of Pint Glass Football. Follow them at McKenzie Brewing. Follow us at pintglassfootball.com. Got another great show, guys. College football is here. Here. I can't even believe it, guys. Week zero kicks off this weekend, and we're going to get you guys ready for the college football season. I've got five college football coaches who are on the hot seat this season, plus the first pick six of the year, six betting picks for this weekend's games, and Shahan Jayaraja from CBS Sports is on the show to get us all ready for college football. You might be surprised which team he thinks could fall from the top three and which unranked teams he thinks could finish inside the top 10. A lot to get to today, so let's crack a cold one and kick this off. All right, PGF Nation, as you guys know, this is an NFL and college football show. Normally, I like to have a decent balance of both sports, but with college football kicking off this week, I really wanted to get you guys ready for college football and just do a deep dive here and cover all different things college football week zero this weekend. So next week, we're going to do an NFL preview, but this week, it's all college football because like I said, there's a lot to cover today and I want to get everybody ready for the kickoff to a new year in college football. Man, is it exciting. I can't wait, guys. I know you're fired up. I'm fired up. Can't wait for some football games this weekend. I want to start with some news that just broke recently, though. Nick Saban signs a one-year contract extension that now goes through 2029. Nick Saban's going to be 79 years old by the time this contract runs out now. With his new contract, he's going to make $10.7 million this upcoming season, and it makes him once again the highest-paid college football coach in the nation. This is a guy that, as we know, he's got seven national titles, 10 SEC titles. He's won six titles since 2007 when he took over at Alabama. He really has become the gold standard in college football coaching and quite frankly, the greatest college football head coach of all time. I just don't think it's debatable. This guy has done something that's really just unprecedented in the sport. He's been so dominant. And at 10 plus million dollars a year, it's actually a bargain considering just how consistently dominant this program has become under Nick Saban. This extension, quite frankly, is bad news for the SEC. It's bad news for the rest of college football in general because it doesn't look like Nick Saban is hanging it up anytime soon 
This guy is still coaching at an elite level. He's still recruiting at an elite level. He has Alabama as the favorites to win the national championship again this year. Just incredible what he's built down there. And it's not going away anytime soon, guys. So if you're a Crimson Tide fan, I'm sure you're excited. But for the rest of the nation, this is almost tough to hear because a lot of people thought, okay, he's got to be thinking exit strategy at some point. It doesn't look like it. This guy's not slowing down, which which means Roll Tide keeps on rolling a little longer. But speaking of college football head coaches, I've got the five coaches that I think are on the hot seat coming into this year. These are all coaches that really need to have a good season to cool those seats off because I think all five of these guys could be in some serious trouble. And I'm going to start with the hottest seat out of all of them, and that's Scott Frost at Nebraska. Look, he's got a 341 winning percentage. That is the lowest for any Nebraska coach in over 60 years. Quite frankly, he just has not gotten it done. He has not lived up to the expectations that they had when they hired him from UCF. Any other program, any other program, he'd already be gone. It is win now or it is over for Scott Frost. This program and this fan base absolutely loves this guy, and that's the only reason they've been so patient with him. But at this point, it is really time to put up or shut up. Big, big season on the line for Scott Frost in Nebraska. Next on my list is Mike Norvell, Florida State head coach. Look, similar to Nebraska, this is a historic blue blood program. And a program like that is not going to be patient for very long. And with some embarrassing losses, Jacksonville State, and an 8-13 and record in his first two seasons, that's not going to cut it at a place like Florida State. It gets you on this list for sure. It also doesn't help that he's getting crushed by rival Miami in recruiting as well. Not a lot of momentum for this program right now. And like I said, when your rival has a lot more buzz than you do, that's just salt in the wound. Miami goes and gets Mario Cristobal. He is crushing it in recruiting right now. There's a lot of buzz about them and the program on the rise again. And Florida State just feels like a program that's been spinning its tires for years now. Ten years ago, this is one of the best programs in all of college football and man, it just has not been the same for several years in a row now. Mike Norvell was supposed to be the guy to change that. Two years in, that 8-13 and 13 record, not getting it done. So this is a big year for him. He's going to have to really show some progress here and show that he's got this program going in the right direction or he's going to find himself coaching somewhere else. Next on my list is Herm Edwards at Arizona State. 25-18 and 18 record as the head coach at ASU. That's not bad, but the NCAA investigation over COVID violations is not good. And I think that black cloud over the program is really not helping the situation here. You also have to factor in that several key players have transferred out of the program and He's dead last in recruiting in the Pac-12. And this is a league that, as we know, and as we've talked about on this podcast, with UCLA and USC leaving the league, the Pac-12 is on life support right now. This program has been rumored to be possibly leaving for the Big 12. Who knows what happens, but this is a program that really needs a change. They need a spark badly. And with the investigation into the program, not winning enough games, and 
really losing the recruiting battle. It doesn't look like things are going to be getting better anytime soon for Herm Edwards. Big season for him. They've got to win some games here because I think anything less than a big-time season, he's going to find his way out at Arizona State. Fourth on my list is Dino Babers at Syracuse. Syracuse started 3-1 and one last year. They had a little bit of buzz, a little bit of momentum, and then they lost six of their last eight games and finished just 5-7. and seven. Look, this is a program that's been on the decline since 2018. It looked like he had this program going in the right direction back then, but overall he's just been 15-35 and 35 in the ACC since he took over, and he's only won over five games that one time in six years. So it's safe to say that the program has slid from that peak in 2018. And look, Syracuse is not some blue blood program like Florida State or Nebraska. I get that. But this is still a program that wants to see success on the field. They want to be competitive in the ACC, and they just haven't been. And that's why Dino Babers finds himself on the hot seat. Last on my list is Brian Harson at Auburn. Auburn has a fan base that expects them to be competing at a high level. They expect this program to be in the mix in the SEC every year. Is that realistic? Probably not, but that's really what the expectations are for the Auburn Tigers, and that's what their fan base and their alumni expect from this program. They lost their last five games in 2021, and on top of that, he's losing in recruiting as well with only the 60th ranked class, according to Rivals.com, which is 13th in the SEC. That is not going to cut it when you've got so many good teams in this conference. As we know, Auburn is supposed to be one of them. They're a team that expects to be, like I said, in that mix with some of the top teams in this conference, and it looks like they're trending in the wrong direction. And this is a fan base that is not going to be very patient because it wasn't that long ago that Auburn was playing for a national title and winning a national title. So this is a program that expects to compete at the highest level and finishing towards the middle or near the bottom of the SEC is far from what this fan base expects. That's why this seat is going to heat up in a hurry if the Tigers don't make some noise this year. Like I said in the intro, guys, I can't even believe that it's here, but college football starts this weekend. Week zero, I've got some picks for you guys. Like we do every week in the regular season, this is going to be the first edition of Pick 6. Let's start with one of the biggest matchups this weekend, Nebraska-Northwestern. Big 10 matchup here to kick off the season. This game is going to be a lot of fun to watch here. Now, this game is going to be played in Dublin, Ireland. Going to be kind of cool. Can't wait to check this out on TV and kind of see what that's all about. Nebraska right now on BetterEdge.com is a 13-point favorite. This team only won three games last season. We talked about Scott Frost just a minute ago and how that seat is getting red hot. This is an important game for them. This team really underachieved last year, but they destroyed Northwestern last season 56-7 to when they played. If this team doesn't get up and play well versus a Big Ten bottom feeder in Northwestern, it's going to be another long year for Nebraska. I'm taking Nebraska in this one. I think they will get up for this game. I think they know what's on the line here. This is a big-time game to start the year. They want to get started on the right foot here and get the season rolling. So I'm taking Nebraska to roll in this one. I'm going to lay the 13 points. 
Another Big Ten team in Illinois is going to take on Wyoming. Now, Wyoming had an up-and-down year last year, but they went to a bowl game and they ended up beating Kent State in that game to finish off with a nice season for them. Now, Illinois is going to be a tough test for them as far as from a size and physicality standpoint, but the Illini program has been a punching bag in the Big Ten. And quite frankly, Wyoming, I think, is going to be fired up to play a Big Ten school. Right now, Illinois is a 10-point favorite. I think there's value there getting 10 points. I think Wyoming could not only cover, I think they might win this game outright. This is just not a very good program in Illinois. And like I said, Wyoming is going to be really fired up to get a shot at a Big Ten team. So give me the 10 points. I'm going to take Wyoming here. All right, next game I got for you guys is Charlotte and Florida Atlantic. This is a Conference USA matchup, two teams that are really familiar with each other. FAU has dominated this matchup in recent years, winning the last three times they've played and five of the last seven. I think the streak continues here. I'm going to lay the seven points and take FAU at home. All right, next up, I've got Nevada and New Mexico State. Nevada has dominated this matchup. They've not only won the last four times these teams have played, but they've also won by an average win margin of over 32 points. So this really hasn't been close. Nevada has destroyed New Mexico State in recent years. And look, Nevada is on the road. I think this could be another blowout victory for Nevada. I'm shocked that Nevada is only a nine-point favorite. I would have expected at least double digits, if not 14 something like that, a couple touchdowns. I thought Nevada would be a big, big favorite in this. The fact that they're only a nine-point favorite is a little bit surprising when you look at the recent history between these two teams. I'm going to lay the nine points. I'm taking Nevada to roll here. All right, the fifth game I've got for you guys is Hawaii and Vanderbilt. Vandy might be from the SEC, but they're still one of the worst programs in the country. And when you look at this matchup, this is the team that's going to be on a really long flight to Hawaii, which can be tough for even West Coast teams, let alone an SEC team. Vandy only being a seven-point favorite is surprising here because on paper, you would think that Vandy would have the superior athletes. Hawaii is in a rebuild. I would have expected Vanderbilt to be a bigger favorite here. This line is a little bit surprising. I think Vegas is up to something here. I'm going to take the home dog here and take Hawaii getting the seven points. All right, in the last game for the pick six, UTEP taking on North Texas. North Texas has really had UTEP's number in this rivalry game, but most of these games have been really down to the wire. A lot of close games, especially in recent years, for me, this is a coin flip game. I mean, this is going to be probably the best game as far as the matchup and how close of a game I expect this to be. So give me the home team. This is a one-point spread right now on BetterEdge.com. I'm going to take the home team, UTEP, getting a point. Like I said, feels like a coin flip. So home team, getting a point. I just feel like that's where the value is. I'm going to take UTEP. Excited to be joined by Shahan J. Araja, who's a national college football writer for CBS Sports, and you can hear him on the College Football Survivor Show. Thanks for coming on the show. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. 
I'm I'm really excited to do this. Really excited to talk some college football with you. Of course, it's right around the corner. AP poll is out. We've got a lot of rankings, a lot of websites putting out their rankings as well. It's starting to get a lot of buzz for college football, and this is going to be really fun to dive into it here, try to go a little coast to coast. Now, before we jump into the upcoming season, though, the biggest offseason story that I really want to get your thoughts on was UCLA and USC joining the Big Ten. What was your reaction to this news? You know, it's interesting. Obviously, a year earlier, we got a little preview of this kind of thing happening with Texas and Oklahoma, of course, joining the SEC. But in a lot of ways, this was more surprising to me. Not necessarily that it happened, but just kind of the timing of all of it. You know, I think in some ways, this is the official death of geography in college football when it comes to the major conferences because you know with Texas and Oklahoma it definitely extends the boundaries a little bit but it fits within a footprint while USC and UCLA are 1500 miles away from the closest school in Nebraska they're 2700 miles away from playing against teams like Rutgers on the east coast it's as far as you can possibly be in terms of uh, spanning a conference and so you know for me I, I understand the money side of it I think in almost every other way, it, it just sucks. You know, it sucks for fans. It sucks for players. It, it sucks for students who won't be able to go and see their team play on the road in, in college football games. I, I think it's just a tough situation. Now, when you're talking about doubling the amount of money that you make, I understand why people feel like they had to do it. But uh, but certainly, I think this is going to end up being sort of a giant existential question for college football as we head forward over the next couple of months and years. Yeah, you hit that perfectly. It really shook things up. It's changed everything. Like you said, the regional aspect of college football is definitely dead. There's no doubt about that. When there's going to be USC versus Rutgers, that's going to be in the same conference. That's really going to be interesting. But like you also mentioned, it's a money game and it's about the TV networks and it's about adding value to your conference. And, you know, speaking of which, I want to go a little further here. These two schools joining the Big Ten. Like I said, it really sent shockwaves throughout college football. It makes many of us, myself included, believe that conference realignment isn't over yet. From what you're hearing, which schools are most likely to move conferences next? Well, I think that a lot of this depends on what happens with Notre Dame. Uh, And Notre Dame sounds like they're going to take their sweet time in order to do it. And I think that might actually slow things up a little bit more than people expect. Uh, Notre Dame has a contract that also goes through 2024 with NBC. And what we've heard uh, and what my colleague over at CBS Sports, Dennis Dodd, has also reported is that if they can get to $75 million from NBC, then they want to stay independent. And I feel pretty good about the idea that NBC might want to do that. We see that they're probably going to get in on this new contract with the Big Ten. And and so I think that that shows a level of investment in not just carrying Notre Dame as a product, but also having additional products potentially to sell in their package. And, And if you have more than just one team, I mean, you know, one team, obviously you're kind of just producing one broadcast. If you have a whole package, then I think that that just changes the way that you're able to create sort of a programming around it you know whether it's a studio show or anything like that it makes a lot more sense if you're able to do that so if Notre Dame stays independent I think that we might be hitting a pause button for a little bit if the Big Ten decides that they want any of these Pac-12 schools obviously Washington and Oregon would be high on the list I, I think that Stanford is an intriguing case especially with the the talk of academics that the Big Ten continues to do I think that you know the Big Ten will have a chance to do that all four of those teams or all three of the teams that I mentioned uh, would leave on on a moment's notice if the Big Ten wanted them but 
I think that if Notre Dame's not moving at this point, then I do think that potentially, you know, the the four teams that had been rumored to the Big 12 might stay put for now. I I think that maybe you see the Pac-12 sign a short-term contract, maybe something like five or six years in order to, to stick together for at least a period of time. So, the thing that we have to keep a long-term eye on, well, two things really. One, in 2026, we're going to see college football playoff expansion, and I think that that might help shape some of what happens next in terms of whether there's still access to the college football playoff across the sports. And I think the other thing, too, is when that ACC contract expires in 2036, or once we start getting closer to it, I think that's like the D-Day. I think that that's like everything explodes, everything kind of gets rewritten from scratch. Luckily, that's a long ways away, but uh, but certainly I think that that's going to be a date that for anybody involved in college athletics, they're going to have that circled on their calendar. Yeah, it's been really fascinating to follow. There's so many moving parts. There's so many different angles to this story, and a lot of it is speculation for sure, but you hit on it. Dennis Dodd has really kind of had his fingers on the pulse there at CBS Sports and kind of leading the charge with updates. And I know like myself and many college football fans included, we've kind of been glued to those updates. We're like, well, okay, what's the recent news now? What are they saying now? I think we're all kind of waiting for that other shoe to drop. And you're right. Maybe they hit the pause button. Uh, maybe we, it's a year or two away. It's, it's just going to be absolutely fascinating to kind of see how this thing all shakes out. Cause I think we all know it. There's more coming here. I don't think this is the end of it. I think you're right. There's still a lot of big brands, whether it's the Big Ten or the SEC. I think they're going to want to eventually gobble up. And I think we're headed towards the two super conference model. I think it's inevitable. And it's just going to be a a really fascinating six months, 12 months, even two years. Not sure, but it'll be really interesting to see kind of how this all plays out. Now, I want to shift to the upcoming season here. The AP poll came out recently, and in the last 25 years, only 32 of 75 teams in the AP preseason top three actually finished in the top three. Who falls out this season? (laughs) It's a good question. I think that if you have to look at that top three, you have to think it's Georgia. Now, Georgia, to me, was a deserving number three in the country uh, after winning the national title last year, how they've recruited, and also just based on their performance over the last five years or so. But they are, I think, in my opinion, a step below those other two teams. And I think that when you look at uh, this, the path that they have to take, they have to beat Alabama most likely to to finish in the top three or potentially even make the college football playoff. And when you look at what they lost, I mean, they lost multiple years for any other programs worth of defensive first round picks. And so I think that they're going to be a little bit rebuilding. And the thing is, right. I mean, even rebuilding for Georgia is going to be 10 and two, 11 and one, but they kind of relied on having a historically dominant defense with an offense that was just good enough. Well, now they've got to replace their running backs. They got to replace a, uh, replace a couple of linemen. They got to replace their top wide receiver and George Pickens. They have to replace their other top wide receiver and Jermaine Burton, who was their leading wide receiver last season. It's a lot to ask for a team, uh, especially one that's never really had to do this before. So if you're asking me out of those three, which one is the one that falls out? To me, it's Georgia. I think Alabama is an absolute stone cold lock. I think they're the best team in the country. I think this could go down as one of Nick Saban's better teams if those wide receivers grow up. And for Ohio State, look, there's definitely the possibility. We saw what happened last year. They lost a big non-conference game. They play another one this year with Notre Dame and they lost to Michigan. But I think that this Ohio State team 
is just going to be a little better than last year. And I think that their schedule, especially with Michigan and Notre Dame, is just going to be a little worse than what they dealt with last year. So from my perspective, I think that Alabama and Ohio State are on a collision course in the national championship game. So if I had to pick one of the three, I think it's Georgia. Pint Glass Football Podcast is presented by Better Edge. Bringing the edge back to the betters with no fee sports betting. At betteredge.com, you, not the books, set the price of betting lines so you can make bank. Better Edge is available in 45 states for real money sports betting. Play the game without getting played at betteredge.com. I think I'm with you. I think I agree with you. You laid it out perfectly. We know that this team recruits at an incredibly high level. We know that there's a ton of four and five star kids always waiting to come up and take those roster spots, but you hit on it. There is so many NFL players that left this roster, especially on the defensive side of the ball. You rattled off a bunch of them, including some offensive players as well. It's hard to think that even a program like this can just reload immediately and be right back to that national championship level. I'm with you. I think they win a lot of games. I think they're probably right in the mix for the SEC championship game. Wouldn't surprise me if they even get back to that game. But I think you're right. When it when it all shakes out, it wouldn't surprise me if it's Georgia. They also lost Dan Lanning, their defensive coordinator, the guy who led that historic defense as well. I don't know if enough people are talking about that as well. Maybe the defense takes a bigger step back than people realize. So, I think Georgia's definitely going to be a great team, maybe just not the top three team. So I think that's probably the best bet as well. I want to go past the top three here. Every year, we see a couple preseason top 10 teams who finish unranked. If you had to make an educated guess for this season, who are those teams? Yeah, it's a good question. So one that kind of jumps immediately to mind for me is number six, Texas A&M, who finished unranked last year. They can't have that happen again. I mean, that, that's just reality. They, they can't have that happen this year just with what they bring back. I, I mean, again, it's fairly unprecedented. I believe there have been 12 teams uh, in recent memory in the AP poll that go from unranked to ranked in the top 10. And Texas A&M has it at back at number six. They're going to have a tough path like they did last year. They play Miami in the non-conference slate. They play Alabama again. Uh, you know, they, they might have to tangle with Georgia. South Carolina is going to be better. Ole Miss is still going to be good. So there's opportunities for losses on that schedule and and if they're not up to snuff which they weren't last year then I think that they could potentially have some trouble another team that I think has a chance to fall out if things break the wrong way would be Oklahoma at number nine. Oklahoma last year, obviously all the stuff with Lincoln Riley and him leaving the program, they're they're starting a bunch of new players. They got a new quarterback in, a new head coach in, new coordinators in. They also have replaced 40% of their roster, according to Brent Venables versus last year. So that's that's a sizable chunk for, for a program that's obviously been so successful in recent memory. So I, I think that there's a pathway to Oklahoma potentially falling apart. They have a big week three game against a historic rival in Nebraska. Nebraska. And if they lose that game, and then I believe that they get Kansas State right after that, that could kind of be the start of a slide if things don't go the right way for them. So I'm bullish on Oklahoma long term. But uh, when it comes to this 2022 season, I think that there could be some signs of trouble. Yeah, that's a good call because you're right. It's a lot of turnover for the Sooners and you bring in a new head coach, a guy that we know is a proven defensive coordinator, a great defensive mind in the sport. I think he's going to upgrade that side of the ball, but you're right. There's just so much turnover there. And with a new coaching staff, it's hard to think that they don't take a step back this year. I think that's a great point. If they lose to Nebraska, boy, that's really going to be troubling. And with Texas A&M, 
I, I think you're right about them as well, because this is a team, as we know, they play in that tough SEC West. And this team, I think you're right. I think the seat might just get a little hot on Jimbo Fisher if they underachieve again this year. With all the recruiting success, with all the resources that they have at Texas A&M, they're probably the best 8-4 and four team in the country. That's kind of the ongoing joke about them. It's kind of time for them to put up or shut up, it feels like. And I think this is an important year for Texas A&M. So there's a lot of pressure there. And with that tough schedule, maybe they underachieve again. It wouldn't surprise me one bit. On average, we see two teams start the season unranked but finish in the top 10. Who could be those teams this year? Yeah, it's unbelievable to me that Penn State started the year unranked. I know that they didn't end 2021 the way that they wanted to, but it feels like they are poised to potentially have a pretty good team with them. They've got a fifth-year quarterback back in Sean Clifford, and and really things went downhill last year after he suffered some injuries. So you hope, obviously, that he's healthy. But the other thing that I like about them this year is they have some help if he does get hurt again. Drew Aller was the number one quarterback in our top 247 rankings, and I think that he's going to have a chance if things don't go right with Sean Clifford to step in and potentially add a dynamic piece of that offense. And similarly, they had another great player from this recruiting class and running back Nick Singleton, who was the number one running back in this recruiting class as well. So just a lot of pieces that I really like about them. And defensively, they do have to replace a lot, but you kind of trust what they've done on that side of the ball. And I think that they uh, are poised to potentially even get a little bit better with Manny Diaz coming in at defensive coordinator, somebody who I have a lot of respect for. So I, I think that they definitely, have a chance to move in one of my dark horse teams all offseason has been Kansas State Uh, Kansas State I I think that they arguably have the best offensive and defensive player in the Big 12 with running back Deuce Vaughn and defensive lineman Felix Anadike Izoma who actually fun fact about Felix he is the leading returning sack leader among power five players not named will anderson so he is somebody who can be a tremendously dynamic player for them uh they have some other guys that i like as well they added some transfers in the secondary i I think that adrian martinez coming in at quarterback that he's going to have a much more structured offense around him than he's ever had during his time at nebraska so i like how dynamic they are i like some of the linemen that they have they actually led the big 12 with six preseason all big 12 selections which was the most out of any team So I I think that they're a team that could certainly break into that Big 12 title conversation and potentially end up as a top 15 team. I like it. And I like what you said about Penn State, because that's a team that kind of surprised me as well. That's a program that's really been pretty solid the last several years. Like you said, they've got a lot of big time players. A little surprising to see them where they are to start the year. Kansas State, that's a good one. Dark horse there that I'm going to have to keep an eye on because you made a really compelling case for the Wildcats. That'll be fun to see what they can do this year, if they can surprise some people. Now, I want to shift gears here. The transfer portal in college football has become almost like free agency in the NFL. And just like the NFL, some moves make a big impact and some don't live up to the hype. Which transfers do you think will make the biggest impact this year in college football? It seems like an easy answer, but the USC guys are going to have a big chance to break out, I think. Uh, Caleb Williams showed what he could do during his time at Oklahoma last year, and I'm pretty optimistic about the group of playmakers that he has. And I'll I'll also mention, of course, Bolitnikoff winner Jordan Addison joining a group that I already felt was pretty strong with some of the guys that they had in tow there, including Mario Williams, who transferred from Oklahoma with Caleb Williams. So I I think that that unit is going to get a lot better right away. And I will mention on the defensive side of the ball, they 
they added more than 10 transfers as well, who will add some critical depth and also some talent at the top uh, on the defensive side of the ball for a unit that really struggled last year. So I think that if you look at a team that's going to benefit the most from transfers, it's going to have to be USC. They're going to be a fundamentally different roster than what they were last year. And, and I think with the new coaching staff that's familiar with a lot of the players who have transferred over as well, uh, I think that puts them in a really, really good position. You know, another player who I think might have a chance to kind of step in and, and be a big time contributor is, I think, Jermaine Burton at Alabama. You know, there's been a lot of talk about Jameer Gibbs at running back and he's going to be big, but they really had nothing once those two star receivers for them last year got hurt in the college football playoff. And we saw Bryce Young struggle, and and a lot of it was just these freshman receivers couldn't find space. Well, Jermaine Burton has kind of been held underwater by just the offense he's been playing in at Georgia. I think he's going to have a chance to really thrive in this offense at Alabama. And and I think that, uh, you know, certainly you need some of these other young guys to step up. I think Ja'Cory Brooks is somebody uh, who really needs to have a big year this upcoming year for Alabama. But, you know, if, if you're asking me for one of those guys who I think is going to potentially uh, move into that wide receiver one role, I think Jermaine Burton has both the talent and experience to really have a great year. Yeah, I couldn't agree with you more on USC. I'm really, really high on USC this year. And it seems like a lot of people in the media are kind of taking this wait and see approach with USC. I'm not. You know, a lot of people are saying, give them a year or two. I think this team's ready to win right now. You've got Lincoln Riley, one of the best coaches in college football. Like you mentioned, he brings over some guys that he's familiar with, especially at the most important position, Caleb Williams, you touched on. You bring in the Bolitnikoff Award winner, wide receiver, and a lot of depth pieces as well. This team is still loaded with talent, and they're going to have to get by Utah. They're going to have to get by Oregon. But I wouldn't be surprised if this team wins the Pac-12 and finds itself in the discussion for the playoff this year. Some people think I'm crazy, but I'm I'm with you. I'm pretty bullish on USC. ton of moves to improve that roster, and I think it's going to pay off in year one. Now, every year, it seems like more and more there's freshmen who enter programs and become big-time contributors right away. Who are some freshmen at top 25 programs to watch out for this year? Yeah, I'll go back real quick to Nick Singleton. I guess technically uh, Penn State just on the outside of the top 25, but they've had issues at that position for the past couple of years. You know, Noah Kane was one of the most offered players uh, coming out of high school, and it just never really hit. I I've heard great things about Nick Singleton and camp, and that offensive line is growing up. And so if they have a chance to be a little bit better, I think they could be a real difference maker for that team. I mean, he, they haven't had a dynamic run aspect to their game. And that's one of the reasons why so much has been asked of Sean Clifford, not just in the passing game, but in the running game. So I, I think that he's somebody who definitely has a chance to step up in a big way. You know, Evan Stewart was uh, the number two wide receiver in the country coming out of uh, coming out of Frisco, Texas, right down the road from me. And I think that he's going to have a chance to play a big role in Texas A&M's offense. Uh, they haven't had dynamic receiver play really since, I mean, gosh, I, uh, several years, I'll, basically since the entire Jimbo Fisher era, they've really struggled at that position. But apparently Evan Stewart's already done a great job of learning the offense relative to, to his uh, talent level. I, I think that he's going to have a chance to start right away. He's going to be able to add some dynamic play for them. And when you look at the quarterbacks that they're kind of cycling through right now, they really need somebody to kind of step up and be a difference maker for them. Because to be frank, I mean, they don't have that guy on the roster right now. They, you know, they relied so much on Jalen Weidermeyer at tight end last year and he's off to the NFL now so I think that they need a receiver to break out and I think that Evan Stewart even as a freshman I'd already be ready to be the guy 
I recently had national recruiting analyst Ryan Wright of Rivals on the podcast. He believes because of the NIL, schools such as Oregon and USC will, quote, have the opportunity to be major players on the national level. We know that the NIL has really changed the game off the field for college football. What schools do you think benefit the most from NIL deals going forward? I think that those are two great schools that, that have an opportunity. And, and before I kind of get into specifics, I do think that NIL has potentially the opportunity to democratize recruiting a little bit more than we've seen. Because I think that, uh, you know, there aren't only two or three programs that uh, can spend. You know, we, we've seen that with access to the playoff, that having such a limited sample of teams that's able to kind of shape the sports uh, really has a big impact. But I think that USC and Oregon are obvious picks. I think. I also want to look to the Big Ten a little bit because the Big Ten, they don't have obviously the same access to talent as the SEC. And that's kind of the the fundamental difference in recruiting. But, you know, there's a lot of money flowing around some of those schools. I don't think Michigan's necessarily going to get in the game, but I'd be curious about a Penn State. I'd be curious about uh, even some of the big state schools like uh, like a Maryland or something like that. I, I think that when they have a little bit more money in their coffers, they might have an opportunity to do something. Certainly when you look at the the fan interest across the SEC at the booster interest, that, that's going to be, I think, a big part of it. You know, we've already started to see some signs at Tennessee of, uh, of potentially them getting really involved in the game. Miami is another one where we've already seen a lot of booster involvement. I, I think that a lot of these schools potentially some with access to major markets are going to have big opportunities. Uh, One that I'll point out right in my backyard, I live down in the state of Texas is SMU is SMU is already offering their players a $36,000 stipend in order to play for their team, similar to what Texas tech is doing. So, I mean, I think that the big markets are going to have a chance to really capitalize in a way that's different. And I think that, you know, when you look at the the schools outside of the SEC, right, I mean, SEC schools generally are not city schools. So I think I, I think that some of these other programs that have access to boosters right away, have access to, to city resources right away, who have the opportunity to build sort of more organic brands than maybe uh, some of the, the specific pay for play type stuff that maybe we've started to see. I, I think that those schools have an opportunity to really make their imprint on recruiting. And and I think ultimately we're going to kind of see a, a split between programs that are really serious about it and, and programs that really don't want to get serious about it. Uh, we'll kind of see whether that's done by sort of naturally or whether that's done through le- legislation, either at the national level or at the NCAA level. But I, I do think that we're going to see the schools that really want to invest in football in a big way are going to end up being the big winners. Yeah, I think you're right. And one thing that you touched on that I think is great is how the NIL, a lot of people are kind of anti-NIL. It seems like a lot of people think that somehow this is going to ruin the sport or, you know, make it, you know, less watchable or something. I really don't buy into any of that because what you touched on, I think is really true. I think it's going to bring eventually more balance to the sport. And that's really what the sport needs because I think the sport has become a little bit predictable, a little bit top heavy with some of the big schools. You know, we can almost pencil in who's going to make the college football playoff year in and year out, it feels like. And if we could see a little more balance in some of these other schools kind of getting into the mix because they're able to get some of those big recruits that they were missing out on and losing to an Ohio State or an Alabama, you know, schools like that year in and year out, maybe they decide to go to a different school because of a better NIL opportunity. I think that could actually bring a lot of value to the sport and could really open things up and make it more fun to watch coast to coast. So I, I think it's great. And I think you made some great points there. Now, 
You recently wrote an article for CBS Sports on overrated and underrated teams. I really loved this article. You did that after the AP Top 25 came out. We kind of touched on some schools here, but who's the most overrated and who's the most underrated going into this year? Yeah, one one team that I really was a little surprised to see jump so cleanly was Clemson. Now, Clemson has implicit credibility because they are one of the only programs, I, I believe actually the only program other than Alabama to win multiple college football playoffs. So they deserve that credibility. Dabo Swinney deserves all the credit in the world. But that said, nothing f- fundamentally changed about what they were to improve them for this upcoming season. In fact, they lost both coordinators. They'll have new coordinators at both spots for the first time since 2015. Brent Venables left the program for the first time since 2012, and they promoted internally, but it's going to be a different type of system. The guys that, who they promoted have not called plays at the FBS level before. So I, I think that for me, there's still a lot of question marks. Uh, quarterback obviously has to be high on the list. Last year, actually, DJ Uyunglele, who started for them, finished 15 out of 15 uh, among ACC passers in passing efficiency. That's just not going to be good enough. And even if you think that Cade Klubnick, uh, the five-star quarterback from Texas, can come in and play right away, that's a lot to ask in terms of getting back into the college football playoff conversation to start at number four in the country. I think that's, I, I think that that's just a lot to ask of somebody to, to come in and kind of save your season like that. So I think Clemson's going to be very good. I think they'll win 10 games again. I think they'll have a chance to, to compete for the ACC again and potentially win the ACC again. But it's a lot to ask for them to get up all the way to number four after spending a lot of last season outside of the top 25 among underrated teams. Somebody's going to need to explain to me why Houston is number 24 in the country. They went 12-1 and last year, beat an SEC team in the bowl game, bring almost every major contributor back on both sides of the ball, and, and yet they fell versus where they were in the postseason AP Top 25 of last season. I think that they have a chance in the schedule to really put together the kind of season that uh, Cincinnati did last year. Now, does that mean they're going to make the playoff? No, not necessarily, but this is clearly a team that should be borderline top 15 at the worst to me. They play at UTSA in week one, at Texas Tech in week two. Those are two games that they should win. And, uh, you, you know, if they go through and burn through this schedule, I think that they're going to have a great opportunity to be ranked as high as the top 10 or even pushing for the top five by the end of the season. So for me, Starting that low after going 12 and one is is honestly a little disrespectful to me. And uh, and I expect them to not stay that low for very long. I like it. I like it a lot. There's a team to watch out for Houston. And I like what you said about Clemson because you're right. They kind of get the benefit of the doubt and they've earned that like you touched on because of how well this program has played in recent years and what Dabba Sweeney has been able to do there. But you mentioned there's a lot of turnover on this roster. I think that's valid. And I think the ACC feels improved this year. I don't think it's going to be the same ACC that they've ran through the last couple of years. I think it's going to be a tougher challenge for them in that regard as well. So I wouldn't be surprised if they underachieved. But once again, guys, I want to tell you, we've been so excited to have Shahan J. Araja on the show. He's a national college football writer for CBS Sports, and you can also hear him on the College Football Survivor Show. Really great stuff. Thank you for getting us ready for college football. I know I am more educated. I'm sure you guys are as well, and we're all fired up for some college football. It's been an absolute blast having you on the show. Thank you so much for having me. That is going to do it for today's episode presented by Better Edge. Hope you enjoyed it, PGF Nation. Hit that subscribe button so you don't miss out on new episodes, and we'll catch you next time. 
Thanks for listening to the Pint Glass Football Podcast. Be sure to subscribe and follow us on Twitter at PGF Podcast.